The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning in. Again, another great conversation. Man, I'm excited to have Danessa Knapp on the show. She's an executive coach, a CEO, keynote speaker. She's coached hundreds of executives across every major industry. She's developed this reputation as a candid, compassionate, courageous leadership expert. She's got a brand new book out there that is an absolute must-read. This needs to become part of your library. It's called Naked at Work, A Leader's Guide to Fearless Authenticity. You know, there, I've come across a lot of books and certainly topic of authenticity. You know, we talk about a lot on this show. And a lot of books talk about it, but I think this is the first book that I've come across that explains how to lead authentically and consider the re rewards and risks of that choice. And also, not only does it make the case for authentic leadership, but it details a step-by-step -step proven process that really is used in elite executive coaching. She lays it all out there in this book, and I really enjoyed this conversation. I've connected with her a couple times since I recorded this a few weeks ago. And uh, she's even going to be a part of my Dose of Leadership University a special session with um, my members, and we're going to talk about this book. She's just – she's the real deal, and I think she is a, a fresh, positive voice in leadership. It is a crowded field, uh, but when we're talking about authenticity, we're talking about executive team effectiveness. Uh, we're talking about driving levels of engagement, driving performance, and again, how to be authentic in this – in this crazy world, I mean, she's she's the expert, and I'm so proud to have her on this show. And you're really going to get a lot of value out of this conversation. I just I can't wait to hear the feedback once you listen to this, and after you pick up this book, Naked at Work, it has to become part of your library. I, I believe in it that that much. It's just a fascinating read in a crowded space in leadership. This is a fresh one, so enjoy this conversation. This show is brought to you by my services. Hey. If you need a leadership expert, a coach, someone to speak, teach a coach about leadership, I'm your guy. And consider, particularly in this online world, if you can't bring somebody like myself in, consider my Legacy Leader Blueprint course. It's an online course, 20 videos, broken up into four modules, five videos in each module. And we can spread it out over about a two-month period, $500 a seat, plant the seeds of effective leadership to your team, introduce the concepts of leadership, or if you've got seasoned leaders, there's always something new and refreshing in how to be an effective leader, broken up into those four modules of leadership fundamentals, leading yourself, leading others, and then advanced transformational leadership topics. It's a great way, again, to plant the seeds of authentic leadership in your organization without breaking the bank. So go check out more at doseofleadership.com and click on the Legacy Leader Blueprint to find out more information. And if you need a keynote speaker, if you need Anybody or executive one-on-one -on -one coaching, again, fill out the contact form at doseofleadership.com or send me an email directly at richard at doseofleadership.com and we'll set up a call to see what I can help you with. Again, thank you for being a supporter of the show. If you can, subscribe, rate, and review. 
those reviews, those word of mouth continues to let Dose of Leadership be in the top 20 of business management podcasts. And also just found out I was in a top uh, number eight in a top 15 best management podcast list that Uptick, a company called Uptick on their website, they put out there. So Dose of Leadership was listed among some great podcasts. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a supporter of this show. And let's get on with this great conversation with Danessa Knapp, the author of Naked at Work, A Leader's Guide to Fearless Authenticity here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Danessa, honored to have you on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me, Richard. I would say in a lot of ways, you're probably the perfect guest for this show. Why do you think I say that? Well, that's first a huge compliment given the company I'm in. You've had some outstanding guests, <laughs> but probably because you and I both focus on authenticity. Hey. That's our gig. Winner, winner. That's absolutely right. You know, I think that was, and I know sometimes people ask, you know, with seven and a half years and 400 plus conversations, like, what's the biggest lesson you've learned? And without question, early on, it was, and it was a, a relief for me in a lot of ways. And it was when I was talking with Steve Forbes. And it, this wasn't on the conversation. This was post conversation. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about fear and shame. And I asked the question, paraphrasing, I said something, when does it go away? And he started laughing, <laughs> like a, a belly laugh. He goes, it never goes away, my friend. He goes, I was in the shower this morning thinking, I don't belong in this space. And if people understand how ignorant I am on this deal, they would laugh me out of the room. And when I heard that from Steve Forbes, I'm like, man, the only difference between me and him is our bank account. <laughs> you know, there is hope for all of us. Right. And so that was that was kind of the yeah. the eye opening lesson I've learned from doing you know, 400 plus conversations later. Everybody is dealing with some sort of head trash. And in some ways, it's it's reassuring for me or um, uh, I, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? It's um, freeing for me. To know that, yeah, but it's sad that we, as human beings, have to deal with it. So anyway, I said a lot there, but 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 yeah, you're absolutely right. I think we're authentic authenticity junkies, right? Absolutely. I mean, here's the thing: is we all walk around in the middle of mired in this both wildly collective and universal and incredibly unique experience in that, right? Yeah. So we're all mired in it, but the story I say in my head is different than the story in yours. And the commonality, though, is we're all, all talking to ourselves. And if you can quiet that voice, man, you can get a lot of stuff done. It, it's crazy. <laughs> well, and I think, too, the self-awareness of when you finally uh, become aware, the volume knob gets turned up, you're kind of surprised at how much you are talking to yourself in a negative way, yeah. right? That's, that's what yeah. happened for me anyway. Yeah, absolutely. When I work with clients one on one, and this is, you know, this is the opening chapter of my book is there's no perfect leader, like, just let that go, right? Let's get started. Right. Um, but when I work with clients one on one, we often do that, Richard, we tune into what's the story you're telling yourself, and they'll start with, you know, I'm not telling myself a story, I have a, a set of facts that have made gotten me to this point. <laughs> right. Yeah, sure you do. Let, let's let's unpack that a little bit. <laughs> right. And we're all deep in a story. And sometimes we don't even recognize it. I, even myself last night, right? This is my gig. I do this for a living. I probably shouldn't be telling you this, but in the spirit of authenticity, 
And like Steve Forbes, this morning in the shower, I was thinking about a conversation I'd had about our business with my husband last night. Um, we don't share a business, but I was talking about my business and I was uh, kind of in this space of, you know, I'm not sure and I don't know. And here's this thing. And I, and I thought, you know what, if I were my client, here's what I'd say. And so I had sort of a, a coaching session with myself <laughs> right. in the shower this morning and got out and went about my day. But that's exactly it. You know, we get stuck in these stories or these habits that most of the time serve us beautifully. They've gotten us to where we are. But every now and then we outgrow them or they don't serve us in a particular situation. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, is, and I would say if I look back on my history, I had a pretty decent childhood. I don't have anything. There was not a, yeah. a big, massive, you know, dysfunction. I was pretty, I was really blessed. And it's weird how you can still go back to weird and certain and kind of innocuous times out of nowhere and kind of just beat yourself up over stuff that happened decades ago. You know what I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's really bizarre. Well, well, not only that, but my favorite is to visually picture the person who told that story. So to your point, like maybe you're thinking about something that started when you were 11. When was the last time you invited an 11 year old to comment on your adult life or to make decisions <laughs> right. for you? Right. You know, and yet we do that all the time because we carry these old versions and these old stories around. You know, we let a six-year-old really influence what we're doing at work. Whereas yeah. if you sat down across the dinner table from a six-year-old and said, what do you think? You wouldn't be paying attention. Right. <laughs> they don't exactly have right. the experience. Right. Well, I love it. I don't know why. For me, it's always in the shower. And then Steve Forbes said the same thing. Is I don't know why the volume knob gets turned up there in yeah. the shower for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> but... It, I, I do like right, it's an echo chamber. I get, you're right. It's an echo chamber. But I, I do find myself when a, a couple of things, at least on, from my journey, and, and I'm, I'm telling you this because you're a coach and I've coached myself. And, and I know that, um, the aware, again, the awareness piece really turned up the volume, almost shocking. It's like, wow, I really do say a lot of negative stuff about myself that I would never say to anybody else. Yeah. And then as you start, okay, and you're getting used to the volume being turned up. And then flipping it on its head. I mean, that's how I started. Like, is that absolutely true? Without a shadow, of, I always ask my question that. Is that 100% uncategorically, undeniably true? And the answer is almost invariably no, right? I mean, it almost right. is always right. no. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, if that isn't 100% uncategorically true, then what does the opposite look like? And what does that opposite feel like, yeah. right? And then I realized that the energy that I expend on kind of focusing on the negative, it's almost the same amount of energy to believe the opposite, right? I don't know if I'm making any sense exactly. by what I'm saying. Yeah. No, totally. And so when I work with clients, we call that reframing, right? Tell yourself a new story. Yeah. But the obstacle is always, Richard, well, I just made that new story up. Like, mm. what business do I have believing it? Well, spoiler alert, you made the old one up too. <laughs> right. You know, right. And so you might as well switch it up if this one serves you. And that's, you know, we really have to focus, and I do with clients, on the difference between facts and assessments. An yeah. assessment feels like a fact, but it's you layering on a really thin veneer of your judgment. Mm. And sometimes you don't even see it. And so you have an assessment that uh, that person is good at work. You have an assessment that you're overweight. You have an assessment that you're fit. Those aren't facts. Those aren't provable. Right. Everyone in the world wouldn't see it the same 
same way, but we think we, we treat them as though they are. And we need to really focus on the difference. It makes perfect sense. But even then, when you try to even spell it out for yourself or, or to a client, there's still a stumbling block to believe that, right? I mean, how many times is it, is it just a matter of repetition yeah. of saying that? Is it a matter of, I mean, cause obviously at some point you've got to get into the, the faith realm of like, you just have to believe the opposite of what you're feeling, right? Yeah. It was so sometimes, and that's the fake it till you make it approach, right? Yeah. Which sometimes mm -hmm. feels inauthentic right. to folks, right? It feels like the opposite of what you and I talk about. But I actually think that's the most authentic you can be because what you're allowing is the possibility that it could be mm, different. I like that. Yeah. So I don't even know that you have to believe it, right? There are days I I have been stuck in the muck before where I can see the other side. But there is no way I can haul myself up out of a hole to believe it. And so all you have to do on those days is to acknowledge that it exists, that your version of reality, your experience of reality, what's happening to you right now is one version and you can see another. So sometimes we talk about it as um, inspiring awe, which is an acronym for and what else, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's like this super rapid fire brainstorming exercise you can do on and what else could be true. Like my business could not grow. My business could fail. My business could explode. My business could fill in the blank, right? And the and what else keeps you going. And sometimes just the awareness of that possibility can move you forward. Well, you like don't it. have to believe it every time. Yeah, you I just have to believe that yours isn't the only one. Yeah, I like that. And I think sometimes, and I got—I don't know if I'm saying this the right way, um, but when I find myself in those situations where I just, I don't feel it, I don't believe it. I, I mean, I, for the most part, I have to be careful when I'm saying this, is that, that a lot of times feelings aren't the arbiter of truth, right? And, and, um, yeah. and sometimes that goes against when I, I'm real big in intuition and going with your gut, which you could almost categorize as a feeling. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm, again, yeah. I'm not a psychologist, but um, in other words, when you feel like something isn't right, it probably, you know what I mean? Trust your gut and your intuition, but sometimes yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a razor's edge about um, when I'm beating myself up and I feel, I don't feel this uh, or I'm mired in what I consider a belief. Right. And, uh, the, the feel. I guess the best way to say it is that I, I I discipline myself to say that beliefs aren't right or wrong. They're either empowering or limiting. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think about it, and you you've got a military background, so this may resonate for you, Richard. But you know, if you're maneuvering in the military, you want a physical point where you can see all around you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You want to understand what the landscape is, every part of it. The big picture. And so I used to have a professor at Georgetown who would say that all of those things, emotions, um, beliefs, cognitive processing, all of those are sources of wisdom. Yeah. And so we want all sources of wisdom to be wide open. Right. You right. want everything, your gut, your thinking, your emotion, the hunch, your past experience, all of those should be highways to your brain so that when you make a decision, you're sitting at that highest vantage point where you can see all around you. You have every avenue of information open to you. 
And then you can choose. But if you shut something down, if you disregard your gut, if you think, no, that this always happens this way, if you disregard possibility, um, then you're just basically shutting off uh, an avenue of wisdom, shutting off one way to know something. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that that way to look at that. You know, every time that we talk, when I, um, and I guess it was, it's been an evolution for me when I look at my leadership journey. And I, if you would have asked me 25, 30 years ago when I was deep in my Marine Corps career, uh, I, I wouldn't have thought that there was a lot of return on investment in talking about the stuff we've been talking about to this point and what's, you know, your whole book, Naked at Work, is all about. You know, I, I suppose it, was implied and you, it was kind of like when I saw leaders, I knew it when I saw it, but I didn't know how to define it. And, but now when I look back with time and experience and a little bit of wisdom, I think th those great leaders that I looked up to in that early stages of my career, they were fearlessly authentic. And, and a lot of times they were transparent, they were authentic. And I would, I would dare to say that they were vulnerable. And, and a lot of times when I try to explain this to people, they're thinking that, oh, well, they were just kind of these, um, that they didn't compartmentalize their emotions. And I would say as a professional aviator, there are times I have to compartmentalize what I'm feeling. In other words, am I being inauthentic by compartmentalizing and, and suppressing what I'm actually feeling? And I would say no, because the situation dictates that I compartmentalize at this moment, right? Does that make sense, yeah. what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think really knowing... Um, yourself and understanding yourself is key. And we now know it is the key to being emotionally intelligent and relating Absolutely. to other people. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you then vomit that all over <laughs> the people that you're with, right? I have a whole chapter where we talk about, hey, there are a whole bunch of ways to get authenticity really, really wrong. Yeah, right? for sure. Like, Elon Musk is a great example oh of someone God. who is beautifully authentic and man, it costs that dude a lot of money. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly right. So you as a leader, you want to understand it. You want to know how you're feeling. And then you want to choose what part of that feeling best serves your team and organization. What yeah. part of that experience serves them best? Yeah. You know, when I talk about authenticity, I define it as bringing forward the full set of your experiences in service to others. Oh, I like that. Yeah. This yeah. isn't about, you know, you working out your issues with your mommy. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Exactly right. <laughs> this, this is about you tapping into all of the experience of the wisdom that you've had in your life. And being able to share and connect with people using that. It's not about, you know, I once had a, a leader who was very authentic and uh, I broke my tailbone in, uh, I, I, in, I had a particularly large baby and he broke my tailbone. And so I was t going back to work and talking about that I would be standing and moving a little bit. This was before the days where we could be virtual all the time. And I didn't want her to think I wasn't interested 
And she had also broken her tailbone, but it was in a very different way. And in something that I thought at that time was best sort of kept private. And she told me every detail of it. Oh my Lord. It was incredibly authentic, Richard, but it made it so that I couldn't make eye contact with her for six months, right? <laughs> but so, you had too much information, right? So it, it created a hurdle for she and I. It did not create a connection. Yeah. And so you want to think about that authenticity, those emotions, all of that helps you, serves you, and your awareness makes you stronger. But it doesn't mean you act in a, in accordance to those, there's a pause, right? Where mm-hmm. you choose. And that's the power. Yeah. I love how you said that. And you're right. It's a, di- you know, if I come, if I'm the chairman of the board or the CEO and I come in from our, our Monday meeting and I, and the night before I, I'd gotten in a fight with my wife and more on the verge of divorce. Um, I'm, you know, and I'm, well, I'll use the example, even like a real, like flying airplanes. When I mean, we, we are obligated to bring those things to the table if we're not prepared to fly because lives are at stake, right? Right. But I don't have to tell you what what the fight was about, right? But right. There, but there is a level of understanding and authenticity because everybody's been in a fight with their spouse. And, yeah. and so if I go, man, I did not get enough sleep. Me and the wife, we're at a crossroads and, and I'm just, I'm not prepared to fly this today. And that's it. And, and everybody's like, I, I get it. I understand get out of here. But if I start vomiting, like you said, all the details and getting them all uncomfortable talking about our love life or lack thereof. Right. I mean, it makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And you want to think about as a leader, you know, Tim Galway is, um, talks about your performance at any given task is a simple equation and it's just your potential for that task minus any interference. Right. Right. And that interference could be internal to your head. It could be external in, you know, uh, a log across a tree track, a train track. Right. Mm -hmm. But what you want to do as a leader is remove any interference for people between what you are saying and what they are hearing. Yeah. And so you want to think about is me going into detail about a fight with my wife going to create interference or going to create connection? Well, in that case, it's going to create interference. Yep. Right. And in most cases it may. But you might think about, hey, I had a big failure in my past and we're dealing with a failure as a company. And I'm going to talk about how I came through that because that creates an upward sort of upward momentum for us as we move through this. Right. It helps create hope. And in that case, it doesn't create interference. So you want to think about, is your authenticity in service to others, or is it interfering with what you're saying, how you're showing up? Is it interfering with what you want to do? And then you choose. I like that. I like that kind of benchmark or litmus test in your way of like, okay, how much do I share? What do I share? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. There, yeah. were, I had a guest on the show one time years ago, and uh, why is her name escaping me? But she was an entrepreneur, and she was talking about – She'd really been nose the grindstone, just kind of this um, impressive, you know, three percenter in the population entrepreneur and growing her company. Wow, yeah. And um, they were going public and they were going to make the big announcement. And the night before they went public and making this big announcement, she found out her husband was diagnosed with um, cancer, oh bone, bone cancer. And uh, she – um, went to the, the next day, but she was just a wreck. Right. And so 
she didn't, again, vomit all the thing, but she kind of said, hey, look, I'm going to turn this celebration over. This is a great day. Uh, turn the celebration over. I need to go be with my husband. We just have yeah. some medical news, this and that. And I, I'm proud of you guys. This was a great, great day. And, and I said, you know, and, and she showed a level of authenticity and vulnerability, just the right amount. And she had so yeah. many people come up to her, you know, months after even that all happened. And good news is the husband survived and fine and this and that. But and all these people came up. I was like, wow, that was, that was the first time I saw you. Someone said, uh, one of the other women in the court said, the first time I really saw you as a human being. I really, like, really connected with wow. you. And she says, oh, my God. Yeah. You mean I wasn't a human being? What's that? How was I coming across before? But it was a great lesson for her was the point of the power of of authenticity and vulnerability, right? And yeah. whereas she might have saw that as a weakness. In fact, she did the morning of. She thought, man, I'm really coming across as a, as a weakling here. You know, that was yeah. her mindset at the time. But it actually improved her um, view, you know, perception, however the people viewed her in the company, right? It, more right. loyalty, more all good things came out of that is my, was my point. Yeah, absolutely. And I, um, that was something that I really dove deep on in the research for this book, Richard, because it was important to me to understand, you know, I feel like authenticity works better. I've got hundreds of clients who, as they tap into their authenticity, seem to feel better and we think they're more effective. But, uh, you know, I spent 15 years for one of the largest data, data companies in the, uh, in the world. And I wasn't going to base that on, you know, my gut says, right. um, although that source of wisdom was wide open, right? And so I spent a lot of time in the research on authenticity, and it's really true. So they've done studies on leadership and teams led by authentic leaders perform better in both day-to-day managerial stuff, sort of like, how do you just get stuff done? They have fewer issues with absenteeism. They outperform on goals, like the day-to-day stuff. But they also perform better in longer-term strategic tasks. So solving problems, interestingly, with or without the leader present, being able to understand complex situations, their response time to change, their resilience is stronger. So authenticity, as you just noticed in that example from the guest, seeing a different result, it's widespread. If you can lead authentically, your entire organization benefits. And so this sort of culture of silence we have about it works against all of us. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I think it's it's so necessary. And you you said that it is the kind of the it is the requirement, uh, the gateway for emotional intelligence, you know, to get your emotional quotient exercised uh-huh. and up, you have, you have to do this work. And I'm just absolutely convinced of it. And I know in my teachings and my trainings, where we focused on this and, and it gets a little squishy and some people are like, well, why are we even talking about this? And I'm like, because it's essential. And it, it is, I honestly think that if you want to be an effective leader, you, you do got to spend, it's about 80% of trying to get yourself right at the same time while you're leading. It's like some, and people think, well, how am I motivating the troops? How am I doing this? And I go, it's not external. It's so internal, I guess is my point. And just by shining the spotlight on yourself and doing this work, like you lay out in your book, uh, it, it gives people the freedom around you to do the same, even while you're working on yourself. And I think that's the power behind it. Right. And, and, I don't know. What do you think about what I said there? But I agree. It, it creates this, you know, Amy Edmondson calls it psychological safety. She coined the phrase um, and it's, you know, working its way into all of our lexicons now. But 
this idea that you're modeling that it's safe. It's safe to be human at work, right? Not, um, you know, with no restraint or no boundary, not fully human. And I joke about it with clients. And I say, you know, you are the same person when you are talking to your college roommate, when you are talking to your grandmother, and when you are talking to your teenager, but you don't have the same conversation with those right. three people. Right. right? <laughs> those are all three of your authentic selves. Um, if you're comfortable with all three of them, super open with all three of them, you're still having three very different conversations. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but that when we can step into that and really pull, bring forward everything, then people can stop taking their eye off the ball. Because what happens is when we're not safe, we've all got sort of a focus on the task at hand. But our peripheral vision is totally taken up by, can I say that? Can I do that? Is that safe? Should I, should I have said that differently? Can I think, man, that's a ton of energy. Yeah. And so, you know, you're actually 50, 60% focused on what you're actually supposed to be doing because you've got all this background noise. Yeah. And if you can just feel safe and dial the volume down on that, you're in much better shape. I agree 100%. The challenge is, though, when I think it's critical as people start diving into this and doing the work, number one, it's, it, let's be honest, it, this is not easy. This is very difficult. Yeah. For a whole host of reasons, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth doing, right? Because everything worthwhile is really kind of difficult, right? Yeah. But I, I think yeah. I think that's where I see people quit, and even myself. But I get a push because it's so stinking uncomfortable. Because it, you're stripping your armor away, man. You're becoming. You're showing. You're showing the goods. And um, damn, that's scary, right? So, so scary. And I think too, we get to a place where we think we're going to do it in a way that feels, um, feels easy. I mean, for goodness sakes on Amazon today, you can buy a tool to help you cut a banana. Like you can buy a (laughs) banana cutter, like talk about how used to hacks and tools we've gotten as a society that you'd pay six bucks to buy a banana cutter. We forget that sometimes things are hard, even if you're doing them right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. You know, raising a teenager is hard. Mm -hmm. Math, if you're doing it right year over year, will be hard. Yeah. And so we forget that. And as adults, let's face it, we don't put ourselves out there to learn new things often. So sometimes for some of us, it's been a long time since we did something hard or since we did something we weren't sure of or since we totally screwed something up. Yeah. And it's hard to go back to it. And so some of that is just habit. Right. If, if we all gave up as soon as we do as adults in learning to walk when we were toddlers, nobody would walk. That's true. Yeah. And go, using that example, too, it's when you watch a toddler learning how to walk, nine times out of ten when they fall, they don't they don't get discouraged. They kind of laugh and, you know, right. it's like that's what it is. And somehow we need to get back to that mentality when we're trying because we're taught, I guess, culturally that we can't make mistakes or failure is is the be all end all and it's just failure is a nonsensical word right what does it even yeah. mean what does it even mean you know well and you know i i talk a lot about failure because i've been blessed with a lot of them yeah, right all of them yeah me too <laughs> um but one of the things I love, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, so somebody listening is probably an engineer, and please write me about a better way to say this. But 
until then, I'm going to say it this way. And that is that one of the things I learned is that engineers don't consider, don't think about failure the way we do. When an engineer designs something and its prototype fails, that's simply feedback. There's no yeah. swirl mm-hmm. of shame. Right. There's no, oh God, I didn't design it right. I'm a terrible person. There's, oh, it doesn't work that way. Let's try it a different way. Yeah. Right? Right. And there's, you just go on. You just notice it doesn't work that way. I'm going to try it another way. And if we could get to that place, we could be really powerful. Yeah. Invariably, when I say this, Richard, someone is like, oh, tell me how to divorce you know, failure from pain. I want to be like you and welcome failure. To be clear, failure is really painful yeah. in some situations, yeah. right? But it's still simply feedback. And so the sooner you can get to that place, the more effective you can be. Try something else. Keep going. I I love how you said that. It is. I I kind of, I I usually say to myself that the fear and the uncertainty, I think that's where we get wrapped around the axle is that we're wanting the fear and the uncertainty to go away. It, it, It never goes away. And it actually is a barometer of what you probably should be focusing on. Right. And yeah. that, and it's not that you're a glutton for that pain. I mean, it, but it's just that, okay, if I work through this, if I continue to do and have the courage to step up and work through, not worry about what other people think about, it, I, I do think that's the relieving thing. The moment you stop worrying about what other people think about you, your whole life is transformed. Now yeah. to get to that point is, is a lot of work and yeah. it, it, it never fully stops. I don't think, but my point is that, that fear and uncertainty should be the barometer of what you're trying to work through because something significant is going to happen on the other side of that. And, and, and I think it's important too. And what I love about your book and, and what you believe is that all this work that we both agree is so necessary, isn't about you getting to a happy place so that you can, you know, walk, past your picket, white picket fence with the cartoon bluebird singing on your shoulders, if it do it's about the obligation that you have for your family, your organization, society, the world of making it better than you found it. I think that's the universal yeah. obligation, right? This isn't about getting comfortable. Am I saying this right? I mean, I'm yeah. Maybe, yeah, but that's what I love about your work. Well, and that's, you know, I, I am not a self-help author. And that's, that is no ding to self-help, right? Right. That's an incredibly powerful, a powerful genre, but I'm not someone who focuses on self-help. I focus on how to make businesses and leaders better at what they do. Right. And that's what this is about is if you do this work, it has dramatic ripple effects for your team and your organization. And oh, by the way, it feels great for you too. It's ultimately a much easier way to lead. It's a much less taxing way to exist in the world. Um, to your point, absolutely, that you won't always be there. I mean, I went to publish publication on my book and my uh, editor asked me a question uh, basically a sort of, are you sure question? And for a minute I thought, I don't know, am I sure? (laughs) Yes, I'm sure. (laughs) Right. Right? We're not staring there permanently. It's a practice, but getting there is you get to bring forward the best version of yourself. Yeah. And you know who that person is, right? Right. And And you get to access them again and again and again. And the confidence is, I mean, it is a, I mean, in a roundabout way, it is self-help. Yeah. But you're right. I think a lot of times the moniker or the 
theme of what we're talking about self-help is to get me away from this uncomfortableness. Maybe, again, I'm not a self-help guru myself, but it's the embracing of the... It's be, it's being the composed force inside the fear and uncertainty. That, to me, is the power of doing this work yeah. that you talk about in your book. It, 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 it allows you to be that composed force in that kind of chaotic universe, which is what is needed because the chaos doesn't go, it doesn't go away. And, and I only have so much time, energy, and resource. And so I can't – it's folly to expend it on making it yeah. fear-free. It just won't happen. I'll, I'll, I'll get so frustrated. And, but if I can be the composed force – again, not that I – encourage chaos or bring gasoline to the fire but i get comfortable being the composed force within the fire for a moment and the fire is not always there i guess that that's the yeah. other point too it's like it, you're not it's not like you're constantly in a fire right but you're when you do this work you become more resilient and i guess that's the difference i think a lot of yeah. times what i'm trying to say is people try to do this work thinking I got to get to a stable place. And I'm like, no, I want you to get to a resilient place. Does that make sense? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, especially as I'm working with leaders, as they navigate the global pandemic, what I'm reminding them of is, yeah, you know, unless you are sort of miraculously still working, you know, uh, since the pandemic a hundred years ago, none of us have done this before. (laughs) Right. It's all new. All new. But reminding yourself that you have done difficult things before. You know, the activist and writer Glennon Doyle is famous for her saying, we can do hard things. Yeah. And the idea of we can do this. You've done hard things before. You know how to approach hard things. You have a set of tools in your past. And they may not be tools you got from work right? They could be tools you got from a different experience. They could be tools from a different industry. They could be tools from your personal life, but you have a set of tools. And so this is about how do you cleanly access the tools that will best serve you and being authentic so that you're not expending energy covering up or making do or, or not bringing stuff forward, but being able to just cleanly look at what do you have in front of you Yep. and what can you use makes you powerfully effective for your team. Yeah, I love that. I, I mean, it's so crystal clear. The way you eloquently said that is just, you're absolutely right. I mean, this this is what it's about. It's not about, and, and maybe that's what drives me crazy too, you know, as, as, as a pilot with American, and we you get on these pilot forum boards and you just see this, and as a leadership coach and seeing it, you know, I see the the kind of psychology going through. And it's like these doom, these, these people are panicking, doom and gloom. This is all they have. And this, and I'm like, you know, come on, guys, we're pilots, you know, the, the, start doing pilot stuff here at not outside of the cockpit, you know, Fly, yeah. yeah, we will get through this. And exactly. It may not fit your plans, but you can do the hard stuff to your point. Cause this is what we get paid to do as leaders. This is what we get paid to do. This is where leaders shine in these moments. Yeah. If you really want to be a leader and I hope I don't want everybody to be a leader, you know, because the payoffs are the reward, the return on investment is, is I, I think it's an obligation. I don't know. Some, I've had some people argue some leader, Junkies like you and I have argued with me that they don't think it's an obligation. I think it is. 
I think that is yeah. the obligation that we have on this planet to make it better than you found it. Whatever the every situation, every transaction. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you there, but I know there are those who who don't and don't have that point of view. But you know that's why I'm in this gig. Yeah, but right. yeah, I mean, I think and your point on leadership. You know, I've had some people say to me, "Oh, I'm interested." You know, I had I had a speaker series recently, and I was speaking to a group, and she said, "Oh, I'd love you to come talk to this other group, but we're not leaders there. We just work with clients." <laughs> and nice. I said to her everyone's leading. Yeah. We're all leading all the time. It's just whether or not you're conscious of it. Yeah. And if you're conscious of it, you have a lot more choices, but we're all leading. You could, you're leading your peers, you're leading your subordinates. You may not have subordinates and you're leading up, right? You're leading, trying to influence in that way. And so being aware that you can do that best from a place that takes full advantage of your experience um, is important to me. And, you know, there are people listening who have a very valid question, Richard, which is, yeah, okay, I get that. And like, how? (laughs) (laughs) And so that was really the genesis of, of the book was to walk people through some steps that I walk through with my coaching clients on, this is how, this is how you start. This is how you practice. This is how you do it again when you get it wrong. Um, this is how you reframe the story. I mean, down to, I, I have exercises in there. I do with clients because I think sometimes we can ascribe to the overall umbrella idea, but how to get there from where we are feels kind of murky. Yeah. Um, and and that's a tough spot to be in, to have the energy to want to do it, but not to know how. And that was really what what brought me to make it at work. No, it's a, it's a great piece of work. I mean, you're right. It is a step-by-step, you know, kind of busting through the myths that we talked about at the beginning of, you know, there's no perfect leader. You know, I love how you talk about shame, you know, because sometimes we don't even, it, it's such a heavy word. And sometimes, well, I don't have any shame. And sometimes what we're really doing is, is a form of shame. And so I love that chapter and how we not stop wasting our time on it, you know, and then rewriting the stories. You talk about failure, you know, it's hard because it's hard. I love that chapter, which we just kind of talked about. Right. And, um, and then you kind of end with, with courage and which is really the bottom line is what it, what you're going to be tasked to do is, is you're going to be afraid, but, press forward and do the courageous thing. Right. And yeah, it's going to pay off. And sometimes, you know, uh, if, if folks are reading closely, they will see um, in, in the acknowledgement to my children, I'm fortunate enough to have uh, six, my husband and I share six children. And what the way we talk about fear in our house is what I put in the acknowledgements of the book, which is that you are going to be afraid. And sometimes fear is noticing, you know, sometimes courage is noticing the fear and walking forward anyway. Yep walking forward hand in hand with the fear. Yep. And because that fear informs you and it keeps you safe and, you know, it's there for a biological reason and it makes it a richer experience. There's um, that I come back to the idea of the pause, Richard, that we can experience all these things and not react to them. We can have, be aware of it and notice, man, I am super afraid. I am really nervous about that. I'm, I'm worried about that. And here I go. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And because that, to me, that's the edge of living. That really is. I mean, that is the obligation that we have because I think the biggest fear that we should have 
is getting to the end of the line and none of us know when that's going to happen. Getting to the line and, and saying, have a bunch of woulda, shouldas and regrets walking around the bed, looking at you, shaking their head going, God, if only you, you know, cause you were the one. Yeah. You don't want that. That's my biggest fear. Right. I mean, this is, this is the shot we've got. People talk about, I'm, you know, I'm waiting for my shot. This is it. <laughs> this is it. Um, and, and you got it and it's entirely yours. You get to choose. Well, I love your stuff. I I mean, I told you, you'd be, I said at the beginning, this is you're a perfect guest and it's absolutely true. I just, I just, we could talk about this for hours. Um, I think you're doing great stuff. The book is fantastic. Again, it's called naked at work, a leader's guide to fearless authenticity. It should be mandatory reading for all my dose of leadership listeners. It should be a go-to for everybody. I think you did a, a, a great job. This is one of my favorite topics, uh, when it comes to leadership. And I think well, it's just, cause it, cause it exercises that emotional quotient muscle. I mean, and that's, what's needed to be a great leader. You can't avoid it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I really appreciate you having me here, Richard. You just have such a terrific program, such great offerings for your listeners. And I'm just honored to be a part of it and a part of this conversation. Thank well, you. It was great. How can people reach out to you, find out more about your coaching, your working, what you're doing, and, and just get in touch with you? Sure. So uh, I put my email in the book because we're authentic. So I'm <laughs> Danessa at Avenue8Advisors.com. Avenue 8 is my company. So you can go out and look there. You can also find me on DanessaNap.com and that'll link you to everything there. But I really am really interested in how folks are responding to the book, what they see, what questions they have, and how else I can help. So folks should honestly email me. I'm happy to connect or tweet at me. What do they say on Schitt's Creek? One of my favorite TV yeah. shows, uh, tweet us on Facebook. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's so awesome. Yeah, it's so awesome. yeah, you can follow me on LinkedIn, tweet me. I'm out there. You can find me. I'm the awesome. only Danessa Knapp spelled this way that I know of. Yeah. So. Easy to find it. It looks like yeah. Knapp, but it's Knapp, K-N-A-U-P-P, Danessa Knapp. She's one of the good ones folks connect with her and uh, make her part of your of your leadership journey and you won't be disappointed. Thanks for coming on the show, Danessa. It was really great. Uh, thanks for having me, Richard. I really appreciate your time and uh, really appreciate the time of everyone listening. Absolutely. See ya. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to dosaleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.